Telemedicine was long promised to be the future of healthcare, allowing patients to speak with a doctor and receive medical advice over the phone or through an app, rather than visiting in person. But the service has not realized its potential over the last decade, with people questioning its ability to provide effective and reliable medical care. COVID-19 has forced rapid transformation for healthcare providers and their patients. And now, telemedicine is part of the mainstream, acting as a bridge between patients and providers as countries around the world went into lockdown, including here in the UAE. Abu Dhabi rolled out its telemedicine and remote care platform for asymptomatic and milder COVID-19 patients last month. You are listening to the Business Extra podcast. I am Kelsey Warner, future editor. Joining us to talk about it, I'm happy to welcome Omar Fikri, the acting CEO of the Abu Dhabi Telemedicine Center and a VP at Mubadala Healthcare. Omar, welcome. How are you doing? What's the latest? Hi, Kelsey. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, I'm doing very well, very busy, as as I'm sure you can imagine. So I've actually been um, the acting CEO for the best part of a year now. Uh, And obviously, our business volumes have significantly increased during COVID. Um, You mentioned the remote care monitoring program, um, as well as our general telemedicine service. So I think with COVID, despite it being a horrible situation, Um, it has enabled us to enhance our services and expand on them quite significantly. So how many patients are you currently treating via telemedicine in Abu Dhabi? And how have those numbers changed over the last couple months? In terms of our service, we have a certain number of eligible patients. Um, Prior to COVID, we were serving uh, them on enhanced, but now obviously, obviously we're We've expanded that and we're also serving Thiqa patients uh, and Daman Basic. So just to give you an idea of numbers, um, our call volumes increased uh, month on month by about 2,000% when COVID first started. Wow. And the reason for that really is, is because we were the only telemedicine provider in, in the market, in, in Abu Dhabi specifically. Um, that has slightly changed now. Uh, the Department of Health have... Um, permitted other facilities to provide telemedicine services during during this crisis situation. And so the numbers have sort of settled down uh, slightly. But if you were to compare it to pre-COVID uh, and where we are today, it's still about 250 to 300% of an increase in volumes. I didn't want to have this conversation without also bringing in an innovator in this field of healthcare technology, which is what we're talking about today. So to talk about investment trends and where the science is taking us, joining us down the line is Sophie Smith, founder and CEO of Nab to Health in Sharjah, a healthcare platform for women that provides personal care using machine learning. Sophie, welcome. Um, this has been, as Omar was just saying, a real proving ground time for health tech. And so I'm sure the past couple of quarters have been tough on you, but what are you seeing for health tech through the end of 2020? This is going to be a very interesting, um, if not a pivotal year for health tech. Uh, in the region and beyond. As you have rightly suggested, the first couple of quarters have been tricky. Um, the healthcare ecosystem, I think, here and and um, globally has suffered a real shock. Um, and a lot of traditional healthcare providers have found themselves to be simultaneously inundated with COVID-19, COVID-19 patients in ICU um, and also going through some of the quietest um, periods they have uh, experienced in recent years. 
um, a lot of providers, and there are about three and a half thousand here in the UAE, uh, which were at 30% occupancy before, have seen their footfall drop to almost zero um, as um, elective uh, non-mandatory procedures have been shelved. Um, and so they've been trying very, very quickly to um, adjust their business models in, or, in order to be able to support people with care remotely. Um, and this is interesting for us because prior to COVID-19, I mean, a significant part of our business model relies on um, a hybrid model of healthcare that combines digital and traditional care, um, but really on, a, on an individual's time um, and, in, uh, and to a great extent remotely. And we were we were budgeting for um, kind of supporting a, this, this cultural mind shift away from care being provided in clinics to care being provided between the clinic and the home. So, Omar, I want to bring you in and ask, you know, you work with practitioners in telemedicine. What has the learning curve been like as this sort of forced cultural mind shift occurs amid COVID-19 that Sophie just talked about? For our physicians themselves, uh, I don't think there has been that much really because uh, we launched back in 2014. So this is something that they do. However, I think for the other facilities, so uh, healthcare providers that have not been previously providing telemedicine services, this has definitely been a learning curve. We're uh, lucky enough to have other assets within the Mubadla network that are providing the same service. So our facilities like HealthPoint and ICLDC that launched telemedicine services as well uh, during this during this period have, have probably had to have more of a think of shift and we have also been able to train sort of new physicians that come on board to provide telemedicine services and we're seeing that there is an increase in demand but there's two aspects of it of course when you're looking at telemedicine there is the um, the, the way you provide that service from a soft skills perspective because you're not facing the patient but there is also obviously a technology component in that training and, and how you go about you know, storing the data of that patient into their medical records electronically and using the platform to its uh, to its full effect. So what about for patients? How are you training practitioners to be sure that patients are accessing telemedicine kind of at an appropriate point of the care that they need and, you know, not confusing something that should be happening in person with, you know, an adequate match for telemedicine? what are you seeing from patients in terms of learning how to use this? Uh, I think during COVID-19, the sad reality is you cannot always control that because, if, you know, we're a telemedicine provider that is available in the market and there is a lot of fear in, in visiting brick and mortar clinics, so to speak. So a lot of patients have been calling us not just to get a medical professional, provide them with a service, but they also have various questions associated with COVID-19 and which best, you know, how to best approach a facility to get healthcare uh, served to them. So in that regard, we're getting a lot of calls, some of which we cannot control, but we have uh, contact center agents as our front line. And so usually with the non-medical calls, we're able to sort of serve them, so to speak, and provide them with uh, pieces of advice that might be helpful. Um, however, in other cases, I think just communicating to the patient the level of services that we can provide for in terms of our expertise is very important. So we are primarily um, sort of provide services that a general practitioner would, not specialized services or obviously surgery for that matter. And I think communicating that 
uh, and making patients aware of that is very important, whether it be through marketing efforts. Um, but we also, I mean, the way we do it currently is when they call, it's our contact center that would determine whether that patient should be triaged to one of our physicians or, or whether we would be unable to serve that patient uh, over the phone. So what are the benefits of having basically half of your intake occur remotely from a practitioner perspective? So, I mean, th- there's many ways of looking at the benefits. I think the benefits to the payer is, is one that we always look at, right? Um, the landscape in the UAE is, is a bit different at the moment. And a lot of patients have uh, insurance, which allows them the flexibility and ease to visit uh, a whole range of facilities. And what you sometimes get in these instances is that patients are seeing uh, the wrong doctor or the wrong type of doctor or a specialist when they really only need to see a GP. So I think in that regard, what we do is we try to ensure that a patient gets the right type of care. And if we aren't able to provide that type of care, we then triage them to the right point of care. So essentially, it's it's really about doing the right thing for the patient and making sure that they are directed to the right point of care at the right time. So Sophie, you work in women's health and on a hybrid model that uses digital tools and in-person healthcare. How can this kind of hybrid approach improve access to healthcare? How can it improve equity where women sometimes aren't getting the same level of care as their perhaps male counterparts? Or you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on increased access and what technology can do for increased access? So at the moment, um, most um, telemedical triages are done by, as Ali mentioned, contact center agents. Um, But increasingly, um, triage is being done upfront by machine learning powered chatbots. And then and then the decision making is actually is powered by machine learning in terms of whom who the patient sees next. So we have our little um, health assistant, Aya, through a, a partnership with um, a company called Infomedica um, in Europe um, has uh, the ability to triage patients, and she's the the, the um, APIs that we use have been trained on something like 1.2 million patient records. So um, patient patient triaging can be done um, using very very little human resource, which obviously makes it much more cost effective. Um, then what you can do is you can take those triages. So from our perspective, they're app-based, and you can spin them out into more accessible technology forms um, that then make them even more accessible to individuals. So for example, um, in in a large parts of the emerging markets, um, people might not have access to um, fast internet connections. So they they might have uh, smartphones, but even if they have smartphones, they don't have the bandwidth to um, download and store very heavy applications on their phone. So people in emerging markets might only have WhatsApp and Facebook, for example. But you have a little AI-powered triaging assistant. You can put that through WhatsApp. You can put it through Facebook Messenger. You can even do it via SMS. So one of the things that we did in response to COVID-19 um, was we incorporated a COVID-19 um, ML-powered risk and symptom assessment into our app. Um, and it's part of Aya's kind of broader functionality accessible to women along with uh, other questions um, that she can answer for them. But we also, um, we plugged uh, an SMS-based system into this. So this means that the the same kind of triaging um, 
features that are available to women through our mobile app are also available in theory to the uh, 66 million women in MENA who don't have access to mobile internet. So, you know, the application of uh, machine learning, the introduction of, um, I guess, hyperlight digital technologies means that you can make um, you can make medical services that previously would not have been accessible to a significant portion of the population available to everybody. So what sorts of things can Aya answer and sort of troubleshoot healthcare wise? The way that machine learning works is the more data that you plug through the system, the more um, accurate her response mechanisms become. So if you ask a question, she'll direct you to um We've got about two and a half thousand um, articles that are clinician-led, available in Arabic and English in our database. Um, she'll direct you to, to content, basically, that is relevant to you. Um, she can, through this partnership with Informedica, also triage a, a broad range of um, symptoms, and she will provide you with kind of likelihood of particular conditions. So you're very likely to have X, moderately mm-hmm. likely to have Y, and unlikely to have Z for example. Um, But I mean, her job is as a personal health assistant, ultimately, is to direct women to tools um, and resources that are relevant to them. So basically, what you've described to us is Aya takes that call center and brings it forward into a tech-driven, you know, it's an AI chat bot. But what other trends are you seeing tech-wise that will be accelerated coming out of this pandemic? What will data and technology allow us to do? And where are you seeing investments kind of headed in health tech? So what this really means is um, taking things that typically would have been standardized and personalizing them to the individual. Um, And this is really only possible through the application of machine learning. So you would take a a huge data set about the way that various patients have been treated um, for similar symptoms, and you would you would make a decision about how to treat an individual based on where they sit in that broad spectrum of of, of backgrounds and symptoms. Um, so precision medicine is one is one theme that I mean has been has been around for years, but I think we will see it accelerate um, in the coming twelve to twenty four months. I think the you know we've already seen that um, a lot of regulatory bodies are allowing. Um, clinical trials and research to accelerate at previously unprecedented rates. Um, you know, vaccines are moving to kind of second stage clinical trials very fast. At, the fallout from this will be a little messy, um, but you know, a lot of the best innovations come out of chaos. So I think just the fact that the, the regulators have 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 opened the doors a little bit means that we'll see a lot more um, novel drugs and therapies is emerging again in the near future. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think we will see a lot of with the, um, with the uh, I guess, the acceleration of um, applied digital technologies is prescription digital therapeutics. What does that mean? So a prescription digital therapeutic is a piece of software um, that is uh, approved by regulatory bodies. So as of the last couple of years, FDA cleared, that are used to treat individuals in place of drugs or medication. So instead of prescribing, for example, metformin to a diabetic to treat them, you would prescribe access to a mobile app or software platform to treat them for the same condition. 
Um, and it will be as effective at treating that condition as a drug traditionally would have been. PDTs are particularly relevant in the context of lifestyle diseases or non-communicable diseases um, because they are predominantly lifestyle related. So that's also interesting. So Omar, prior to the pandemic, Mubadala Healthcare had begun making investments in life sciences and health tech. And so the intersection of technology and medical research was something that Mubadala was you know, expressing interest in back in January. What have you been learning during the pandemic about what is going to be driving demand in healthcare in the coming years? What are you paying attention to right now? Um, so we really see a, a, a number of opportunities. I think M Health is is one that you mentioned, right? Digital apps that work. It's basically trying to ensure convenience to the patient. So you mentioned earlier about the benefits of of telemedicine, and I think that's something that kind of comes into play when looking at the opportunities in the long run uh, as to what the trends would be and where 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 the healthcare landscape is is moving. Um, one of those one of those areas really um, that comes that comes to mind is is looking at ensuring that the patient can really get that convenience of uh, healthcare access rem- remotely. Um, you know, you don't really want a patient to visit a healthcare provider during this period because obviously there's an increased risk of contagion. Um, so anything that really allows that patient ease of access but also allows that patient to be continuously monitored by a physician is essentially what would be really, really important to us at ADTC, which sort of maybe even communicate to the patients, you know, uh, best practices in terms of healthcare or keeping fit and healthy. And I guess you can summarize it saying uh, preventative medicine. Sitting where you are, you know, a few months into the pandemic as a healthcare provider leader, how are you feeling, optimistic or pessimistic, for the future of health tech? Uh, definitely optimistic. I think we're going through a crisis situation which puts us on shaky grounds at the moment. Uh, however, as with any disaster situation, uh, it's a chance to rebuild, re-strategize, and restructure. Omar Fikri and Sophie Smith, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Emirates airline president Tim Clark has urged governments to take immediate action to restart aviation and avert the collapse of operators that have already been bailed out as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Abu Dhabi's Jubail Island Investment Company awarded a 200 million dirham contract to Gulf Contractors Company for its Jubail Island project. GCC will complete the infrastructure works required for phase one of the 5 billion dirham residential project. Argo AI, a self-driving startup tightly aligned with Ford Motor, completed an expected tie-up with Volkswagen involving a $2.6 billion investment from the German carmaker. The deal vaults the world's first and sixth largest automakers into the top ranks of a race to deploy fully self-driving cars, along with Alphabet's Waymo and GM's Cruise. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on Apple or Spotify or any platform you listen on. A review would also be appreciated. All that remains is to thank Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan for producing this episode remotely. And thank you all for listening. Join us again next time.